0: How are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, you can grab those. Turn uh, to 2 Timothy 3.16. We will get there uh, shortly. We will get there um, shortly. Um, just a real quick announcement real fast that I forgot to mention um, in, in the bulletin. Uh, but next week, what we're going to do is we're going to vote on a trustee, um, Bob Wall, Uh, was one of our trustees, and he has resigned um, a few weeks ago. And so we uh, are going to bring before you uh, Jody Caldwell. Um, And so next week as a church, we will vote to uh, approve Jody as one of our trustees. And so uh, if you have any questions or anything like that, please see myself uh, or one of our current trustees will answer any questions we can about Jody. Um, But he is one that has been put up for nomination uh, through uh, our our trustees. And so uh, next week we will enter into uh, that there. Um, and then uh, also, real fast, uh, if you have a phone, I want to ask you to do this. If you would pull, this is kind of weird, right? Because it's like, put the phones up, we're in church. No. Uh, grab it and pull it out real fast, if you would. Um, and if you don't have the New Life Baptist Fellowship app, shame on you. This is a cheap plug for our app. Yes, I know that. Um, but also, just want to make you aware of kind of one of the cool features that we're going to be playing around with over the next few months. So if you open that app, when you open it, you've got a, a menu bar on the very bottom. If you will click on the middle one, it says Worship. When you click on Worship, it brings up uh, four other uh, little bars that you can click on there on the, the main page. If you will click Sermon Notes, um, fancy little thing we've got there is the Sermon Notes for this morning. So if you want to follow along, um, you can kind of follow along as we, we go along, but it's got all the points, the scriptures, the different things like that. Even a little place in there where you can uh, put notes if you want to type a little note. Like if God just happens to inspire something that I say, and it's like, man, this is a cool quote. I mean, you can put that there. I know it doesn't happen often. no. Um, but, but honestly, all of that stuff's right there. And so like I said, just another little feature that our app has. Um, and so honestly, if you don't have our app, be sure and download that. That's just another way that you can stay connected with us uh, throughout the year, throughout different things going on and stuff like that. Um, so our app is there, but I'll be following along through that this morning. If you have that, be sure you and you can check that out there. Um, the notes, they go to you. They stay on your phone. They stay right there in that app. No, 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 uh-uh, no, you're not taking them, it's not going anywhere, it stays right there on the app in, in your settings. So you can have those to revisit later on or just have there for your, your own look through the, through the week. So, um, so the notes and stuff's there, the, the outline and all that good stuff is there. And so Happy New Year, right? The, yes, the first sermon of 2020, right? Wow, think of 2020, who would have thought we'd have made it this far, Right? 2020. I, I'm excited to see what God has for us this year. Um, man, just had a, a good week last week. I had the opportunity to go back home to West Virginia where I was greeted with 50 to 60 degree weather. Um, I was expecting a little snow, a little cool, but um, man, got, got to spend some really, really good time with, with family. And so it was very, very good. Um, and so I am excited to see what, what God has for us. And so I just want to kind of give you a heads up, an update of what we've got planned. So this morning, the sermon is entitled Resolved. Um, and you'll see what that kind of means here shortly as we dive in. But uh, we're going to just do a standalone, just a standalone talk this morning, uh, and just talk about some things that I believe is very, very important for us as a as a believer as well as a church. Um, and so, you'll, like I said, you'll kind of pick up real quick on what I mean by resolved here shortly. And so we'll do that and then really next week we'll jump into our, uh, our, our series leading up to Easter where it's just uh, uh, back to kind of the basic is kind of the, the thought there, just spiritual habits. So we're just going to look at the different things that makes us unique as the body of Christ and we're just going to get just back to the basics. I just really feel like God pressing upon my heart, especially over the last few months with everything that's transpired and everything that we've been through and walked through as a church, that it's, it's just pertinent that we, as the men and women of Christ, just get back to the basics. I mean, it's so easy to take our eyes off of Christ, to take our eyes off of our first love, and to, and to just, just sway. And so I, just, I think it's pertinent that we get back to the, the things that are most important. And so we're just going to spend the next 13 weeks just walking through what that means, what that looks like as we look at, at God's Word, as we look at, at prayer as we just look at the different uh, uh, spiritual disciplines that we need to have as followers of Christ. And so that'll kind of lead us up to Easter, and then we'll celebrate Easter. Like I said, that's, that's like 13, 14 weeks. Gosh. Merry Christmas, right? Happy New Year. But we'll celebrate Easter, and so that's, that's kind of the plans uh, for today. And so uh, for me, it was one of those things of as I was just praying and got, just talking to the Lord this week and just kind of looking and trying to figure out what God uh, would want to do with us this morning, do with us at uh, the beginning of this year, walk us through. Uh, anybody, anybody make any resolutions? Any, any resolu- Are you serious? That could be a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good, <laughs> it's a good, amen. Well, okay, so th- then that just deletes my next question. Anybody broken their resolution yet? So no, because if you don't make it, you can't break it, right? So I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean wow, that's, that's great. Well, well, I'm happy you kind of answered that way, because as I was kind of looking and kind of just praying and reading and studying this week, um, there's kind of two camps as it comes to resolutions. Uh, there's the camp where it says, no, you don't need to make resolutions, as apparently we've gotten set pretty well. Um, or maybe you read the same article I did, but it, it, the, the author was just talking about how uh, really the Christian life is kind of just this mundane day-to-day, just kind of fighting through the mundane of, of every day. There uh, very rarely are these big highs or these super lows. Um, they come and things hit us. I, I get that. But he's saying that, that, that really um, it's one of those things that, that, that a resolution is just you you're just fighting through the day. You're just fighting through the day, doing the mundane over and over and over, just battling, just kind of keeping your eyes focused and walking. And so this whole thought of trying to make these big resolutions to where uh, you you may slip up or you may fail, you may not make it, uh, is just not necessary. And then the other camp is like, yes, you should make resolutions. Resolutions are a good thing a time to kind of look back at your life, look at what's happened, look at what's taken place, what's transpired, what maybe you need to focus in on, what you need to look at, what you maybe need to do a little bit differently or try to set some guidelines or some things in front of you to press toward, to try to help you grow and mature or or do better. And so there's two kind of different camps. And so um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to make resolutions. Maybe you do, Um, uh, but but not necessarily. I think it's a good thing to take inventory to kind of assess where you're at, to kind of look, to try to have some goals to maybe shoot for, some, some things to walk through. And I'm going to define here shortly what I believe a resolution is, what it should be, and it's probably going to be a little bit different than, than what our world would say a resolution is. It, it's bigger than just trying to lose some weight or trying to uh, be better uh, health-wise and different things like that. I think it's something um, a, a little bit bigger than that, a little bit better than that, especially as it pertains to uh, God's Word. And so as I was thinking and as I was praying this week, I just, I just want to tell you about somebody that made a resolution. I, I want to kind of use his definition of what, what, what it means to be resolved or to have a resolution. And before I jump into that, I just want to introduce you to uh, someone maybe you're familiar with, maybe not, but his name is Jonathan Edwards, and he's just uh, just a, a mammoth man of the faith, um, just just somebody that God just used in a mighty way to just shape the very course of this world for the glory of God. And so Jonathan Edwards was born October 5th, 1703, in the great state of Connecticut. And so Edwards grew up in a family that was very dedicated to the purposes of God. Very, very entrenched in church life. Very, very entrenched in the Lord. His dad served as pastor of Second Church Windsor. So he was around it. He was familiar with it. He was, he was in and submerged in the church. And so Edwards, actual his maternal grandfather, he served as a pastor as well in, in Northampton. And so Edwards, whenever he was 18 years old, he, he got the pastor his first church. I mean, can you imagine an 18-year-old man pastoring a church? And I know it was a different day in the 1700s, but, but pastoring a church. And so he pastored there for a few years. And then his, his maternal grandfather, who, like I said, served as a pastor in Northampton, he, he eventually went to work for him as the assistant pastor. And then a few years after that, on February in February of 1729, his, his grandfather passed away. And so, as the assistant pastor, what happens? He becomes the pastor of the church. And so, in 1735, that church there had approximately 620 members. It had grown to 620 members. And so, he would serve there for over 20 years in a church that had this heritage of their awakening. I don't know if you're familiar with the Great Awakenings. If you've read much of Jonathan Edwards, I would encourage you to, to research him or to read some of his writings, maybe his biography. Or, or like I said, there, there's a ton of sermons that he has, has out there, a ton of writings that he has uh, uh, comprised. And so, um, just man, just, just a great, great man of the faith. Prevalent man for the Awakenings, the Great Awakenings that, that America experienced as God just poured out his spirit. And so in New England from 1734 to 1735, there's just this religious stirring that begins as, as a return to seriousness over religious matters. It starts to emerge. And Jonathan was a part of that. A number of people were converted. I mean, numbers, great amounts of people come to know the Lord. And there's all these reports that were given of, of individuals forsaking sin and pursuing godliness. Where God just uses this man to preach and proclaim his truth, his word. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit falls Think Pentecost a little bit, the Holy Spirit falls and people's lives are changed and transformed, people are saved. And so Edwards stands as one of the most recognized participants and defenders of the first great awakening that this, this world's seen. So he's, he's a huge just, just man that just feared the Lord, that just loved the Lord and just walked with the Lord. And so I wanted to share a little bit about who Jonathan Edwards was because I believe he's just one of the greatest theologians that this world has known. And so I was just reminded over this past week as I just prayed and I asked God, what would he have for us today? As i kind of done the same thing, as I look back over this past year, it's kind of as, it's a practice of mine. Every, as the year kind of closes out, I like to always look back and just see what God's done in my life personally how He's changed me, transformed me, how He's encouraged me, how He's just kind of worked me over and helped me grow and mature all the more in my faith. And then uh, as as a man that, that's pastor as a church, I like to to do that as well, look and see how how God's kind of shaped and formed us as a congregation, what He's done in this community, what He's done in the life of the people here in this place. As I just like to kind of just see and just see what, what God's up to, what He's done, what He's accomplished, what He's still working on, what He's trying to accomplish in us. And so God just brought to my memory something about Jonathan Edwards as I, as I kind of sat down, as I kind of looked at that and thought about that. And there was something that I read of Mr. Edwards of a few years ago that, that just really kind of just struck me. And the thing that, that Mr. Edwards wrote that just really got me, something that I'll, I'll read often, is his resolutions. He sat down and he wrote resolutions. And over the course of about, about a year, he uh, crafted his resolutions. He wrote his rev- resolutions. And in that year, he wrote 70 resolutions. Seventy things that he was going to live by that it was going to be his standard, going to be the tracks upon which he lived his life, that the, that the train ran upon, that he was not going to veer from. And it was resolutions based around Scripture, based around the Word of God, based, based around prayer, based around what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be uh, a man that, that, that even uh, is conscious of his time and everything that he does. He wrote 70 resolutions, or as you could say, personal mission statements. That they're going to guide him and discipline him in his pursuit of godliness. And I thought it would just be something good for us as believers, or, or maybe for us as the church to do kind of the same as we enter into this new year, 2020, something for us to kind of maybe just look at and kind of just uh, circle our hearts around, circle our attention around. And the resolutions that he wrote, as I said earlier, as I mentioned, resolutions, were not, "What can I do better or try a little harder at something this year?" That, that's not the heart of it. It's something far greater that he pinned. And so today what we're going to look at is not just about us as individuals, but it's about us as the local body. It's about us as the congregation. It's for us as the fellowship. And so church, when I use the word resolution or when I say resolved, I mean it as this. It's a fixed determination with which we seek as the direction of our steps. I mean, who talks like that nowadays, right? It's, it's a fixed determination. There's great desire and determination. There's resolve with which we seek the direction of our steps. Every single thing that we do, we want to be intentional. and We want to be determined as we do it. And so the resolutions that we're going to discuss today, they're not pious hopes, romantic dreams, or legalistic rules. That's not what they are at all. No, they're intensely pro- proactive. They're positive. They're practical. They're instructions for our life, paths to be followed at all costs. These are hills, I believe, that we as a church are willing to die upon. And so I want us to drink this morning deeply from the wells of Scripture and taste the supreme authority of God to our soul's joy and satisfaction. As we look at God's Word, as we take it in, as we read and we see and and beg of the Holy Spirit to move in us this morning, to awaken in us a greater desire for Him. Church, I think it's far We've far too long been content. Apathy is our greatest enemy this morning as the church. And so we need to fight. We need to fight with everything in us. Everything in us. I'm going to ask you this morning if you would join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word and see what He has for us. Father, we, we need you. Father, we beg of you. God, I beg of you to move in a mighty way this morning. God, I I just want to ask you as I do every week, God, as I plead, and this is not vain repetition. God, it's from a sincere, desperate heart, God, that you would save the lost in this room this morning. Father, maybe the one that doesn't even realize their loss, maybe the one that's just played church their whole life or has been around their whole life and they know the lingo, they know the talk, God, that you would be gracious and loving enough to awaken in them the reality of their great need for you. And Father, for for those of us in this room that are saved, God, maybe that are struggling with sin, God, God, that you would convict us in such a way, Father, that we would walk away and forsake our sin and that we would cling to you, that we would desire you, that we would long for you, that we would want you far above anything else. And so, Father, I beg that you meet with us this morning in this place. God, without you, this is nothing. God, apart from you, this is absolutely foolishness. And so, Jesus, we desperately, desperately need you, Father, to move and to speak. And so, Father, may your Holy Spirit have freedom to do whatever he sees fit in this place whatever he sees fit. God, this is all for you, for your glory, for your honor. God, that you would speak and move in a mighty way. God, awaken us to the reality of who you are. God, awaken us to the condition upon which we're in. God, help us to be more hungry. Have a greater desire. Help us to be resolved. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first resolution I want to talk about is going to just simply just deal with God's Word. And so it's going to be on the screen for you, like I said, right in the app there. But the first resolution is based solely around God's Word. And this is what it says. This is our first resolution, church, that we're going to live by with everything in us. New Life Baptist Fellowship will be resolved to study Follow, submit, and obey the scriptures so steadily, so constantly, and so frequently that we may come to love and cherish God, allowing us to grow and mature and be transformed into the image of His Son. So the first resolution that we're going to stand by, the first thing that we're going to be so focused on, so determined, so resolved to is going to be about God's word. It's going to be all about God's word. We're going to be a church that is serious about the things that God's serious about. And the way that we're going to know what God's serious is about is what he says. He's told us we don't have to guess. We don't have to try to hope. We don't have to try to figure it out. We, we can know for certain what God has said and what God is trying to accomplish in this world. And so I believe this is one of the most beautiful scriptures, most important statements that you'll see in all of scripture. And so 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this. And this is how Paul, as he pins this letter to Timothy, starts it out. In verse 3.16, he says, all scripture. And so I just want to pump the brakes for a second because I believe there's a little word that has a ton of meaning right there in the very beginning, and he uses the word all. And, and I just love that word because I can remember in school, when I was in school, we had this one professor, and he would give us the definition of all. And, and he would always say, Dr. Fink would always say this. He says, boys, all means all, and that's all that all means. It means all. It means everything. All-encompassing. All is all it means, and that's all it can ever mean because all is all. So, so Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture and so scripture, as he refers to it here, is just simply that of the Old Testament. Uh, the law is what they have. They don't, they don't have all the books of the Bible that we have today. So they, they have the Old Testament, which really was just comprised of the law. And so he, he's telling Timothy that that, that scripture is, is inspired, that there's something about that scripture that we'll look at here in a few minutes. But it also simply means the New Testament as well. All of it has God's breathed authority upon it. Every scripture, that is. Every scripture and it's every part what we have as God's written word. It's not just a man made book. It's not just thought up on a whim. But as he goes on, he says this is it's breathed out by God. Church, all scripture is inspired. That's what breathed out means. It's inspired by God. And what Paul is reminding Timothy, it's not just something dreamed up by man, not just something hoped upon, not just something created, but that it's God's very word and it's serious. God's word is very serious. Uh, Think about it for a moment. If you could have somebody write you a letter Somebody prominent in our world, somebody uh, maybe that you idolize, somebody that you cherish. If you could have them write you a letter from home, what would you do with that letter? You'd read it. You'd keep it. You would cherish it. If there was instructions in it, what would you do? You'd try to follow them. If, if you thought much of the person that, that was the author of the letter that, that sends it to you, you would, you would do whatever you could do to try to follow it out to the best of your ability. If there were um, things in there that was recommended for us to do, So think of what you would do with with that letter, with those writings. And what we hold today is far greater than any letter we could receive from any prominent person on this earth. We have got God's very word breathe out to us. Breathe out to us. The God of the universe has spoken. Have you thought of it like that? The creator of all, the one that allows our heart to beat and the blood to pulsate through our veins, has written us a letter, has given us his word, has instructed us, has told us what he's about, has told us his desires and his longings. He has shared with us his plans. The God of the universe has spoken and we have his desires. Every single one of them. We have got his letter His words, inspired, breathed out by him. And so hear me, God's influence was not just simply on the minds of these writers that penned his words or what he would have to say, but his very attention to the very process of Scripture. It's it's there evident in that as well. Even to the point of where, where their minds and their hands composed the exact words that he would want them to say in the Scriptures. So these words are so much God's words that Paul says in the writings himself, this writing here, that it's God breathed. Church, this sets our scriptures apart from every other written anything. It's we've got God's word breathed out to us, inspired by the Creator inspired by the Creator, written to direct and instruct and make us aware and show us of His great love and desire and longing for for relationship with us, the fallen creation. I think the heartbreaking thing for me, the heartbreaking thing is that, that God has spoken, but how little we're concerned with what He said. God has spoken and has instructed and has told us and how little we care about it. How little we give attention to it. How little we study it. How little we know it and memorize it. How little we spend time and interact with it. How little we, we eat of it. How little, how little we even uh, uh, visit it. My fear is that so often that, that the majority of our time in the Word is on a Sunday morning. And there's no wonder the church is in the state that it's in. Because, I mean, we're malnourished, right? I mean, if you eat of... If you, how many of you just eat twice a week? Yeah, I don't don't think any of us. You know, when we get hungry, what do we do? We go to the cupboard and we fix ourselves something. Or, hey baby, can you get me a, however we see fit. But the thing is this, is that we have got the word of life. We have got the words of our God, our creator. And with what passion and zeal and desire do we even visit them? With what longing do we want to know what our God has said? Maybe when a difficult time comes up, or we need to kind of go at a coworker, or we need to answer a kid that our question is trying to stump us with, maybe then we'll study and look at the scriptures. But is there any real consistency? I mean, one of the greatest men in my life that I've known is my, my mentor who's In Kingsport, and I can remember doing an an internship with him for a little bit over the summer in between um, after my first year of college, and and I can remember him uh, at night, every night, there was me and another guy, and we stayed with him at his house, and every night he would pull us into his bedroom, like, all right, boys, it's time in the Word. Man, we're tired, Billy. He's like, I know you are, but you're not too tired to get in His Word. You're never that tired. I'm like, okay, man, we'll do it. And we're sitting there, and we'll read, and he's like, all right. All right, night, and he's like, no, no, we're not done. I said, what do you mean we're not done? He's like, well, what would you read? What did God say to you? What did you hear from Him in His Word? And then we'd share a little bit, like, "All right, night." But no, 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 we're not done. What do you mean we're not done? It's late, man. We've been doing ministry all day. He's like, "You're exactly right. You've been doing ministry all day." And the only way that you can ever do ministry and do it effectively is that you're plugged into the source that gives you power, the source that gives you strength. He's like, "You'll be an empty vessel. You can't, you can't minister from the overflow of what God's doing in you if you're not allowing Him to pour into you." And how does He pour into us? Through His Word. And so we get to talk for a little bit longer. And he's like, all right, he's like, all right, boys. We're like, we'll see you. He's like, no, no, we're not done yet. I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Like, it's 1.30 in the morning, dude. We got to be up at eight. What are you doing? You're never too tired to talk to God. You're never too tired to spend time in his word. And so we'd sit there and we'd pray for the next 30 minutes. And he'd pray with us and we'd pray with him. And I can remember talking to him one one night while I was there. And I said, Billy, let me ask you a question. I said, how often do you miss getting in the word of God? And he looked at me, and this has been, this has probably been uh, over 10 years ago. He's like, I can count on one hand the the nights that I've missed not being in the Word of the Lord. And I would guarantee you right now, if we'd bring him in and ask him that same question, it would probably still be about the same amount as what it was over 10, 12 years ago. He understood the value of God's Word. He understood what God's Word, it shapes us, it molds us, it does a work in us. And so now what's going to happen in the Scripture, is Paul writes to Timothy, he's going to give him what God's inspired Word can accomplish, what it, what it profits, what good is it for. And then he says this, he says, it's profitable for. And so, Timothy, this is what you're going to gain from it. Church, this is what we're going to gain from God's Word, His inspired, infallible perfect word his word that he has breathed out that he has spoken out and that men has has been directed under the influence of the holy spirit to to pin and this is what we have this is what it's going to do for us this is what we're going to gain from it. and the first thing that we're going to gain is teaching god's word inspired perfect is going to teach us it's going to instruct us it's going to help us to learn and grow because hear me we all need to be taught None of us has arrived. The moment that you say to yourself, I'm there, is the moment that you start to die. You hear me? None of us. None of us. And that's what I love about God's Word. It says that it's active, that it's moving. It's not just stagnant, not just something that we read. But as we pick up God's Word and we read it, the thing I love about God's Word is I can read a scripture today and revisit it months later and it says something completely different all the while saying the exact same thing because God's Word is active. God's word carries a weight with it and it does a work in the heart of man. And it teaches us what he says. It instructs us. It helps us to learn and grow. So, what does the learning and understanding of God's word teach us? What what does it give us? What do we need to be taught in all of our academia and all of our smart and intelligence? One, it teaches us about God. God's word is about God. And so God's word is going to teach us, going to teach us, help us to know and to grow all around the reality of who God is. And we need that. We need that God-sized picture of who God is. We live in this world of me, 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 my, my, my. We are the gods of our own life. And so we need the picture of who our God truly is, who the one and only living God is. And so it's going to teach us about God, but thank God he doesn't stop there. He also teaches us about us. In God's Word, we can learn about man, about fallen man, about our needs. Our greatest need is the gospel. Our greatest need is to be changed and transformed. And so God's Word teaches us a number and multitude of things, but it teaches us about Him, and it teaches us about us. And thank God it tells us the truth about us. I I mean, how demoralizing, how horrific would it be if God's word said, no, no, you're, you're awesome, you're great, no, you're doing it, keep knocking it out, all the while knowing that our life's in shambles, that it's in, it's in wrecks, that we can't master uh, the sin in our life, that we can't defeat whatever addiction that's there, we can't overcome whatever struggle is, is present in our life. I mean, how debilitating would it be if God said, no, you're doing great, just keep it up, and he just walks away. But no, no, God's word teaches us about us, and he's, he outs us. Oh, that's what I love about the God of the universe is he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to make it pretty. He doesn't pat our little bottoms, like, you got it, boy, keep doing it. All the while we're just slumming it into sin and, and shame and, and and results of our sin and consequences of our sin. But he tells us the truth about us. And then he points us back to himself. And then he t- points us back to himself. So the first gain, the first thing that's profitable is teaching. And then I love this part. And this is not words from here on. It's not words that we really like to look at or we like to talk about. Like I said, we're a very me-centered culture, a very me-centered world. And so even it's infiltrated the church, and the church is the same way. What, what can I get out of it? What can God do for me? What, what, what do I deserve? And so, so we don't like words like this, but I love stuff like this because, again, God tells us the truth, and then he comes after our hearts. And he tries to change us and shape us so it's profitable for teaching and then it's profitable for reproof. When's the last time you've been reproved? But that's what God's word will do. And and you know, we're desperate. We need that in our life. We need the God of the universe to tell us the truth about us, to come alongside and and out us for all it's worth. So the word reproof here just means of our errors. He, He points those out and we're just stopped in our tracks. He points out our errors. He points out our wrong way. He reproves us. It was kind of like this past week as I, again, had the opportunity to go in and visit family. And so our trek always gets us to West Virginia. But to do that, you've got to go through North Carolina. This is a little geography real quick. North Carolina, Virginia. There's 50 states. Virginia. And then we arrive safely in West Virginia. So that's kind of the path that we navigate through, and so um, I, I'm, I really try to obey the speed limit in the for um, the the North Carolina and Virginia. Like Virginia police are brutal, man. So I'm just like very careful, pump the brakes. I'm five under kind of guy there, and, but then when I get to West Virginia, I can smell it, you know. Like home is right there, and, and then I'm just I can be honest, right? This church, I know it's difficult, but I can I can do it. Um, so I'm just, I'm just gonna be honest, and so when I get to West Virginia, I feel just a not invincible, that's not a good way to describe it, but I kind of, like, like, I feel like, yeah, you know, I've got a brother-in-law that's a state trooper, which I don't know why in my mind makes me think that I'm above the law. That's, ne- that's never a good place to be, okay? You hear me? Never. And so, so I get to West Virginia, and then a little bit of it, I think, too, is kind of homesick. I haven't seen mom and dad, haven't seen family for a few months, and so I get, a, get that little kind of st- uh, t- uh, turning in my, like, gut, man, I can't wait to see mom. I could smell them and hug them and they're, they're all there and the craziness of my clan and I just get to be around them for a little bit and so, um, so I, I get kind of a heavy foot when I cross the border, you know, like we go through the tunnel and once we go through the tunnel, there it is, 70 miles in wide open interstate and so we're on the road and we're going and I'm doing good and I, I, like I, I usually try to stay speed limit five over maybe like my thinking is, that, that, how crazy is they pull you over five over, you know not good logic, again, but that's just my logic. Like, how crazy is that report? Hey, chief, I got him for fun. I mean, that's, oh, dude, are you serious? And so, um, so, But I get a little kind of like squirrely in West Virginia, all right? Again, above the law, my brother's a state trooper. My brother-in-law's a state trooper, which does nothing for me because I've never been through the academy. I don't even know laws. You know what I'm saying? Speed limit law, that's all I know. Don't steal. So there's very few laws that I know. And I don't even know, like, the codes. Like, a 10-5 over here on it. Like, I know none of that. But just in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I'm good. And so what do I do? I get through the tunnel. We're going good. I'm kind of cruising altitude at about 10 over. We're doing great. There's nobody out there. It's later in the evening. We're doing fine. Then we come to the first toll booth. We go through the first toll booth. And now we're only about 15 to 20 minutes away. So I get anxious even more. And so I hit the, I give her my money and I hit the gas, you know, and I don't even know if that thing turns green yet, but I know I've given her my money, so I'm in the clear. And so we're doing this thing, and I'm committed, 10 and 2, seatbelt, kids are buckled in, harnessed in. We're set, and I am going, and I am like, I, don't, I, I think I was going 10 over when I see lights on the side of the road flip on. Not blue lights, car lights. Okay, probably a pedestrian that was struggling getting their car started, something like that. That's what my mind's thinking, until I fly by them and they pull out rather quickly uh, with blue lights coming are you kidding me? Dang it. So you know what I do? I run. and no, I'm joking. <laughs> you never run. I've watched enough live PD to know you don't run or back talk or sass them. They will tase you. <laughs> and second, we're in West Virginia, so they're a little bit crazier than the rest. You know what I'm saying? So I immediately see blue lights. I pull over. I'm, I'm a good driver. I've got my license, window down, hands on the steering wheel. Like, I'm playing this thing safe, you know? And so I, I'm t- and he walks up to the window, and, and I... And I say, yes, sir. And he see. and so anyways, I get out with a warning. I don't even have to drop my brother-in-law's name. Like, I've always been like, hey, do you know Steve Moore, by chance? Yeah, we're close. Really? He's my brother-in-law. And he'd probably, like, deny it. I don't know. But um, so anyways, I, I, I get out with a warning, thank the Lord. And it's like from that point, like, I'm, like I'm, I'm skittish now. Like, you know, like, I've been burnt. I'm, I'm skittish. I'm back to the speed limit and under. And so I, I tell you that story to, to say this, is, is that we desperately need that, don't we? Because that's our heart, is it not? We've got this tendency to drift, to think that we're better than we are, think that we're okay, or think that we can get by with it, or think that we'll be able to do it. And what we need is we need reproof. And so what that officer did uh, that night as I'm driving on the interstate was he reproved me. He brought me back to reality, and he reminded me that I'm not above the law that my car is geared to go at a certain speed because there's laws to govern and protect and keep us safe. And that's exactly what God's Word does. We have to have our errors pointed out. We have to have those things brought up to us, and that's what God's Word does. And hear me, if you can read God's Word and it never corrects you, there's not a problem with God's Word, but there's a problem with you because you are blinded, you are hardened, you are, you are, are unaware of your own sin and, and destruction and direction that you're headed And so God's word reproves. And then he uses this other word. He says for correction, the profitable, it's profitable for correction. And correction is this thought that we're headed in a direction as we're headed into a direction. It's very harmful. And what happens is it corrects us. And as it corrects us, it turns us to go the other way, away from the danger. And that's what God's word does. That's what his law does. That's what the psalmist says. I meditate on it day and night. I just eat it up. I love your word. Why? Because it corrects. Because we need to be corrected because we think far too highly of ourselves. We think way too much of us. We're like me on the interstate thinking because I'm connected to my brother-in-law that's a trooper. I'm going to be okay. We need correction because many of us are heading in a way that's dangerous. And God's word points out to us those dangerous ways of this world. It's also profitable. It says for training in righteousness. I love that. I love that. Why do you train? You train to get stronger. You train to be better. You train to be more equipped. And so his word trains us in righteousness. We can know how to live in a right and good way that brings honor and glory to God. It's us being transformed. And that's what I love when he says in verse 17, that the man of God or the woman of God, that, that the men and women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What Paul tells Timothy is that there's a work for believers to be doing. And there's tracks which we need to run on, and the tracks is God's Word that we can be complete and equipped. Godliness and maturity comes how by way of the scriptures learning and growing and our life rubbing against what God says and our desires rubbing against what God's word says. And as we rub against it long enough, what happens is it begins to, to shave it down and to smooth it off to where, whereby those hard edges, those rough edges are no longer there. But now now starting to look more and more like Christ. We start to live and act and respond more and more in a way by because we're being completed, because we're being equipped for good works and we can't do good works when it's just us we need to look like Christ we need to live like Christ and that's what his word does so the scriptures in the hand of a Holy Spirit has the power to make us the kind of people who can discern and do good live out what Christ has called us to live out and do and so the scriptures man they do a number on the heart and soul so you need God's Word you don't need somebody else's interpretation of God's word. You need to be in God's word. And so we as a church will forever and always be resolved to study, follow, submit, and obey the scriptures at all costs. That's the kind of church we're going to be. Based around God's holy, infallible, inerrant, perfect word. Brings us to our second resolution, and our second resolution is prayer. Prayer. Our second resolution is, is prayer. We're going to be a church that's resolved to be about His Word. We're going to be a church that's going to be resolved to be about prayer. New Life Baptist Fellowship will be resolved to be diligently seeking fellowship and showing our dependency on God through devoted prayer in everything. 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 What do we need to pray? Yes, we need to pray about this there's certain directions and things in the scriptures that we don't need to pray about. Like, do we share with our lost friend? Yeah, we share. You don't have to pray about sharing with your lost friend. Uh, Do I need to do this or give my life? Yes, you don't need to pray about that. Yes, you give your life away in service to the Lord. Absolutely. But what I've learned about prayer is that prayer is just the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. Prayer is saying, Jesus, I need you. Without you, I can do nothing. Prayer is an expression of the faith in God's power fueled by desire for more of him. You want to be powerful? You want to be strong? You pray. The strongest people I know, and I'm not talking about physical strength. Yeah, I would include them in physical strength, are those who spend the most time on their knees in their closet with God. Look what Romans 12 12 says. If you have your Bibles right there, Romans 12 12, it says this. Romans 12 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. See, the word used here, this, it, it can, other translations can translate it like this, and that word there, be constant, uh, can, can be devoted. Another way to read that or look at that is, is be, be devoted in prayer. Actually, the word used there is also kind of the word used, not kind of. It is the word used over in Mark 3, 9, where, where Jesus tells his disciples to have a boat ready. And when he says have that boat ready, it's, it's that thought of being devoted. That boat's devoted, why, for because of the crowd lest they crush him. So what we see in that scripture in, in Mark 3.9 is that there's this boat that's set apart that's devoted for the purpose of taking Jesus away in case the crowds get too crazy or they start to press in and become threatening. And so the word devoted just simply means to be dedicated for a task. It means to be appointed for it. So, so we're to be devoted to prayer. We're to set aside our life for what? For prayer to be consistently and constantly talking to the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, because what that does is it it shows of our great need for Him. See, my fear is that we think that we grow up into something, and as we grow up into something, then we kind of move away from some of these fundamental practices of the faith, like, oh, prairie, I'll I'll get to it when I get to it, or the Word, okay, I know a good bit, and I can search something if I need to, so I can kind of move away from it, but we never move away from these things. They're fundamental things of the faith. Like, Like, if you watch any, like, sports at all or or, are aware of any kind of sports, whether it's football or basketball or baseball or golf or tennis or, or you name whatever, badminton, whatever sport it is that you play. There's these fundamental things that you've got to get back to that are the bedrock of how you do what you're doing in that sport. Because the moment that you move away from it, Everything starts to go hey, haywire. Your ball could go this way. You could miss a shot that bad. You were fading this way. Well, if you go up... And there's all kinds of little things and techniques and, and, and mechanics that are so important for success in whatever that sport is. The same thing goes for us as believers. God's Word has always got to be a priority. It's one of the mechanics that we always get back to, that we always stay connected with. And prayer is the same thing. We're to be devoted, devoted, dedicated for a task, what for prayer. And so being devoted to prayer, I believe, looks much different than not being devoted to prayer. Would you agree? If we're devoted to prayer, you know if we're devoted to prayer, if someone's devoted to prayer. And you know what? God is well aware of the difference as well. He he is so certain and knows so much whether we're devoted to prayer or not, whether this church is devoted to prayer or not. Whether we're seeking him and talking about how dependent upon him we are, and so is there a pattern of praying in your life? Uh, would you say that you are devoted to prayer? Let me, let me give you some maybe examples to kind of shore up and, and make us even more uh, aligned with what I mean by that. So some examples of, of devoted or not, examples of not being devoted we'll be praying only when a crisis arrives in your life. When something difficult or hard, or, oh, God, I need you in this moment, and so uh, granny gets sick or something happens at work or whatever the case is, then we spend some time praying. That's a crisis that enters your life, and so you pray then. Or, or maybe praying only at meal times as a pattern. God, thank you for this food, nourishment of my body and mind. Like it, like, it, it's so crazy, but, but our, our little ones remind us so much of what prayer is really about. And if you don't believe me, just ask your kids to pray it at lunch because what do they do? They really pray with what's on their heart. Like God be with Granny, Aunt Joe, Uncle Bob, Billy. You know Billy, God, Billy over there across the street, two doors down, has a dog and a cool basketball rim out front with a car. Yet him, and they just go through this long list. Oh, and God for the food and for mommy. And dad. Like, it's just, I mean, it's it's, ref, it's like, oh, can we just eat, please, buddy? Like it's time. Like my stomach's. But is it not refreshing? Well, because what do they do? They pray their little hearts, don't they? We've moved away from that. Maybe a short now as I lay me down to sleep prayer at the end of the day. I would say that's not being devoted to prayer. A hit or miss, help me, Lord, in the car you need this parking spot. I wouldn't consider that being devoted to prayer. But, but all those are fine and good, and I think those are, those are prayers that we need to be praying. But I, I think that you would agree that Paul expects something more and different from the followers of Christ whenever he says be devoted to prayer that being devoted to prayer looks much, much different than just a little Hail Mary in the car here or there, or a little, oh, yeah, by the way, God, can you do this? Or, oh, I just think he would, he would deem that not devoted to prayer. So, so why do we pray in the first place? One, because God's Word tells us to pray, that we're to seek Him, that we're to always be obedient to what God's Word says. See how they connect together prayer and God's Word? The second reason why I believe we need to pray, have you, have you not, are you not aware of what's going on in this world? The needs in life, the needs in our families, churches, world missions, the culture. I mean, there is a huge desperation for God and people are blind to it. Why would we not pray? God's the only one that can awaken anybody to the reality of their need for him. And the third reason why I believe we pray is because God acts when we pray. He can do more in one second than what any one of us in this room can do in a hundred years. You get that, don't you? And so why would we not go to the one who can move mountains by just speaking? Why would we not constantly be in the ear of the one who can, who can actually make something happen? Like, we think that we're strong and that we're big and bad and we've got it together. But, but hear me, God just thinks and it happens. I mean, we got to get geared up. And nowadays, for me, like, to, to do some sort of physical activity, I mean, there's Gay, there's spandex, there's braces. I mean, sleeping at night now you wake up sore. How does that even happen? But the creator of the universe just thinks and it ha- he never gets weary. He never slumbers or sleeps. He's always aware, and he just speaks, and it happens. It's the craziest things. I can't even get my dog to listen, let alone my kids. And he just talks to a bird, and it just stops? Or the storm's raging everywhere, and he just, peace be still, and it just quits? Whew, down it goes the water. What? I mean, I, I mean, I can scare my kids to death, and it still don't work. But he just thinks about the storm stopping and it stops. Why would we not be tapped into that? Why would we not want to walk in fellowship with the God that can move like that? So as a church, we will be resolved to be sincerely committed to prayer. Sincerely committed to prayer at all costs. See, too often the church, what happens is they want to see a move of God, but but she turns, what happens is the church turns to the latest polls or the hottest new programs or the best new selling book out there or a consultant to tell what we've been doing wrong. And so when we want to grow or have a move of God, we are so quick to change, to chase after everything but who? God. So I believe everything needs to start in prayer. Everything needs to be bathed in prayer. Not talking to your neighbor. Not talking to other people, but talking to God first. Because you know what? Nobody else's opinion really matters like God's. So what we need to be doing as a church is we need to be seeking and pressing into what God has to say more than what anybody else has to say. And what I've learned is that when the church does that, we'll be unified and we'll be together. Because hear me, my God is not a God of division. My God is a God of unity. He's not a God of calamity. He's a God of of precise movements and working and doing. And so when we approach God, when we go after God with everything in us and we seek him, he will direct us. But church, we've got to be doing that. We've got to be praying and seeking God. brings us to our third resolution. Our third resolution is based around mission, about about what we're to be doing as the church. Third resolution and final resolution is this, mission. New Life Baptist Fellowship will be resolved to be on mission with God and active in playing our part to see that disciples are made who can make other disciples. We're going to be serious about making disciples. And I just want to warn you because the cost is going to be great. I just want to be upfront with you, right? There's, there's, there's no like like cute little flashy thing and then we'll catch you in the back and trick you. Uh, making disciples is difficult. Making disciples is hard. Making disciples is heartbreaking. Making disciples will wear you out, will make you mad, cause you to want to cuss. It will do a number of things in you. Why? Because making disciples is connecting your life with somebody else who's as hard-headed as you are and have got their mind made up, got their will made up, got their desires made up, and they know exactly how and what they're supposed to be doing in the Lord. Hallelujah, amen. All the while, is the more spiritual person walking with and being connected to that person. You know it's not. And so you lovingly challenge, you lovingly walk with, you lovingly connect yourself with, you lovingly care for, you lovingly pray, you do all of those things in direct, and you give advice, and hear me, they're not going to listen to a word you say because they've already got their mind made up and they want to do it their way. You're laughing because you know it's true. But we're going to be a church that's going to be serious about that. And hear me, this, this right here is not making disciples. Me standing up here yelling at you for 30, 40 minutes, 40 minutes on a good day, that is not making disciples. I don't know, I don't know how it hits you. I don't know what God does it with you throughout, throughout the week. And hear me, I can't do it with everybody in this room. There's just no way. Unless you want a divorced pastor. This ain't going to happen. And so what do we have to do? We have to raise up other people who can invest in other people's lives, who can walk with other people, who can connect with other people, who can press on other people. Why? So that they can raise up other people to do the exact same thing. And hear me, I believe that this third and final resolution is only accomplished by way of the first two. We've got to be in God's word growing and maturing ourselves, having other people pour into us, and we've got to be spending time on our knees before God. And so Jesus in Matthew 28, if you have your Bible, Matthew 28, Jesus just finishes saying in verse 18 that all authority has been given to him. And as a result of that, now I want you to do something. And this is what he says in verse verse 19 of Matthew 28. He says, go. And the word go here is as you are going. So as you go, do your life. Look, we're not asking you to do something else on top of what you're already doing. We're just asking you to do what you do better. Do what you do more intentionally. Do what you do where you do what you do. Just do it. As you are going, as you are living your life, as you are doing, go therefore. Therefore, just points back to the reality of all authority has been given to Jesus. So, all I know is when Jesus speaks, we need to listen and we need to do. If we don't do what Jesus says, what's that called? Ah, you can do better than that. What's that called? That's exactly right. What does Jesus think of sin? Hates it, doesn't he? Yes, we're in church and we can say, He hates sin. Well, put him on the cross. It killed him for us. God despises sin, church. So if we don't do what Jesus says, and just so we're all on the same page, we're in open rebellion against Jesus, right? Is that a good place for the church to be? No. Good, okay. We're doing this. So his authority has been given. He tells us about it. So we get to live and act in his authority. So go, therefore, and do what? Make. Jesus tells us to Make. He tells his disciples here in this day to make. And I believe it also rings through for us here today is that we're to do something. We're to go and make. And so if Jesus tells us, commands us to do something, he's going to give us the means by which to do it, is he not? If he tells us to make, then he's going to help us and equip us to do what? To make. But I never had anybody. It doesn't matter if you have or haven't. This is the opportunity for you too. As I said, this is, should never be the primary way to make disciples. Me standing up here preaching God's word for 30, 40 minutes or Bible study on Wednesday night. No, no, it needs to be life. You don't see Jesus doing that. He doesn't get his disciples and crowd. Okay, let me, let me tell you just five points. Okay, go, now go do it. No, no, no. He walks with them. He rolls his sleeves up and he gets dirty with them. He cares for them. He loves them. He spends those, those crazy times, ridiculous hours with them. So we need to do it the way that Jesus does it. So if he calls us to do something, he's going to equip us and give us the power to be able to do it. Remember the Holy Spirit? And he equips and he he is our helpmate and he presses us along and he gives us desires that are far outside of us. And he gives us the power that we don't normally have and recognize. And he says, go and make disciples. And so I've been defining this for a few years. But I believe this is just something that we need to just be reminded of and hear as often as we possibly can. Because if I was to ask you to define a disciple, could you? And I believe Matthew 4.19 is one of the best verses that just kind of describes what a disciple is. And he says this to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just a simplistic little verse over Matthew that Jesus says, follow me. He invites them in to be his and then he's going to transform and shape them. And then he's going to give them a new purpose. And he says, follow me. And I just believe that's the three points of what a disciple is. It's got to be a follower. I love you, so I'm just going to tell you the truth this morning. I believe that's, that's where the major hang up is in the church today. Because when he uses the word follow me, it's not an invitation well, when it's convenient or when it's good or when everything's going great or whenever you feel like it. or you know what? I got an extra 30 minutes here. I think I'll follow Jesus for these next 29 minutes. No, 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 no. No, no when he says follow me, it's an invitation to lose and give up everything. I don't know if you remember the song we just sang, uh, Rid Me of Myself. Like, well, we don't just sing songs on a screen just to sing songs because they sound kind of cool and the band can play them really well. As much as I love you, that's not the point of those songs that we sing. Those songs that we sing is to point us to a far greater one than anybody that stands on this stage on a Sunday morning, and that's to Jesus. And so when he says, follow me, it's abandon everything, sell out everything, give up everything, place all of your faith and trust on him as your Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but you take him as Lord or you get him as nothing. And when you take Jesus as Lord, it means he has the keys to your life now, and he directs everything that you do or don't do. Everything that you say or you don't say, he directs everything about you. That's what salvation is, abandoning all that you are and placing all of your faith and trust in Jesus. And church, it scares me to death because I'm afraid that there's not many that gets that. And I don't say that this morning to be mean and ugly and try to trick you into something or convince you of something that you're not because there's nothing I can do to the heart of the person here this morning that knows Jesus is Lord. I can't convince you otherwise. But if I can even cause you to swerve by the comments that I've made this morning, chances are you might not be his. And me calling you into question this morning whether or not you belong to Jesus, if that ticks you off and makes you mad and you run out of here and never come back, then you're probably not his either or there's a sin issue in your life that you need to deal with. Because it does nothing to me when somebody asks me if I belong to Jesus. I mean, that opens up great door for conversation. It doesn't make me mad or it doesn't offend me. No, it does none of that. None of that. Like I got to play golf one day uh, this past week with with family and as I was playing we got to play with another guy that we don't know for just a few holes because he was trying to catch up And, and we're about three holes into the fourth and I always try to have conversation like I really like it because usually when you play golf you see people's real colors come out. If you don't believe me, try. Call me, I'll go with you. I'll help keep you accountable. But um, so we're in the midst of playing, and as we're playing a little bit, we get, he's, he's just playing four because he's trying to catch up, and so he gets to the last, last one, and, and we, he, he's like, so now what do you do for a living? He has opened the door. <laughs> Sucker. Um, I said, I, I happen to be a pastor, and his light eyes just light up. So you're a Christian. I said, brother, I am a Christian. And his little eyes just light up. And we begin to talk about what he does in his church and how he he serves as a, a deacon and a trustee and man, what their church is doing to impact this world, to, to take the gospel to Christ and some of the ministers. I and we just had the greatest, like that whole like took us 25 minutes to play, and the people behind us wasn't happy. But I mean we fellowshiped and worshiped the Lord in that moment. That doesn't offend me. So you're a Christian? You mean you're a believer? Absolutely, brother. And so what Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple, you first got to belong to him. And my fear is that the reason why we don't do a very good job with this is because maybe we don't belong to him like we think we belong to him. Because what it does is it leads into the next part. The first part is that you've got to be a believer. Follow me. And then he says, "What I will make you. So what that tells me is this, is that once you believe, once you accept, once you follow and walk in the reality of who Jesus is, he's going to transform you and change you. And all I know is this, is that God loves us far too much to leave us where he found us in the sin and the muck of this world. Or at least he hasn't me. Maybe you're the exception to the rule. But what I know is this, is that God, when he gets you and he gets a hold of your heart, I don't see not one person in Scripture that doesn't walk away change everything about them. So the second part the discipleship is one, that we belong to him, and second, that we're going to be being changed. And it's an act that happens from the inside out. I'm not asking you to be better or nicer or to hold doors up. I'm not. No, don't do any of that. Let God let God change and shape and mold you. And as He does that, He will press upon your heart by way of the Holy Spirit things that you should be doing. Maybe habits that aren't so God honoring or things that. Are, I, I'm not trying to control. We're not trying to control your behavior. I think for too long the church has tried to control your behavior. We just give you this long list of to dos and to don'ts, and then if you just do those, you'll be fine and you'll make it to heaven. Hear me? No. It's a relationship with Jesus that gets you to heaven. And that's not even the prime motivation. Heaven's not the prime motivation. Jesus is the prime motivation. That's what salvation is. It's Christ. I need him to cover and make for me what I can never make and do for myself. And as he does that, he's going to shape and mold me. So what I know about this Scott Miller that's been saved for twenty-something years looks vastly different than Scott Miller that was even saved in 19, or was saved from year nineteen nineteen, or twenty nineteen. I was never alive in nineteen nineteen. Twenty nineteen, I look vastly different than the Scott Miller from last year, and I should. Why? Because as I'm around him, he shapes me, he molds me, he transforms me. What into the image of his son? I'm going to be less selfish he be more loving, more gracious, more kind, more slow to speak and quick to listen. All of those different things that he outlines in Scripture that's of his character and his nature is going to take on my character and my nature. Why? Because he lives in me, church. And he should you too. Which brings me to the third point, because if he's living in us, and our heart should be directed toward him, our heart should be for him and following him, which is going to bring us to the third point of discipleship, which is this, is to be fishers of men. Which means we're going to be on mission for Him. Our desire and our existence. Let me just let me just ease you for a moment. Your primary existence in this world is not to make money, not to be famous, not to raise good kids, but to love Jesus with everything in you and bring Him as much glory as you possibly can. And as you do that, your heart is changed, morphed into the image of His. And as you do that, your purpose changes. So where you work, where you live, where you eat, where you go, all the stuff that you go is not for your own enjoyment. It's this, it's for purpose. And Jesus gives those boys purpose that day. And the moment that you give your life to Christ and you come to faith in Jesus, you get purpose. It's to go after people and do the same thing.